This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try to unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I am Alan from Pixel Partners HQ, and here is my co-host, Greg from Studio One Designs. Alan Nunez, how are you, buddy? I am awesome, Mr. Merrilies. Hey, listen, what what have you been up to, brother? I've started a YouTube channel for the first time. I can't believe I haven't had one up until now. Have you got a YouTube channel, Al? Uh, no. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you do B2B, it's not as needed. But, you know, I just realized that I've got a lot of different content, in, especially in the form of video, but even some, some, you know, audio stuff as well that I could turn into video. And, yeah, I've got a lot that's just hidden in my website. So I figured just put it on a easy to get to you know, all in one place, YouTube channel. Well, you know what? Now that you say that and being B2B, you've just sort of, you know, set off a spark in me. But I've been using a lot of video to explain things. And this is kind of relevant to our topic today because, yeah. you know, people don't understand some of the technical side of what we do. Even graphic designers don't always understand it. And I've been trying to explain it in text for so long. Now I've been using Loom. Oh, how good is Loom? Oh, it's awesome. Look, I've had ScreenFlow for a long time. Yeah, but it's a bit of a cumbersome process to... Yeah, you got to upload it and all that. Wait. Yeah, you've got to export it, then upload it, then you use Dropbox or something else. Oh, mm. and it just, it's messy, right? So Loom yeah. just makes it so easy yeah. that I've been punching out how-to videos yeah. and there's no reason why I couldn't top and tail those put them on the YouTube channel and then just refer people to them. So watch this space. Mate, uh, that's exactly one of the reasons I'm using it as well. Like Loom is incredible. Like it's the best tool. I don't know. It's quite a new tool, but if listener, if you haven't discovered Loom yet, and if you want to be able to do really quick videos and publish them to the web and share with anybody, check out Loom because it's totally free and it's so amazing. And it's better than things like Snagit or whatever those services are because it doesn't matter where you are in the world it's a really smooth fast upload you know i mean like the upload but also the the playing like i've noticed with jing i think it's called it stops and starts depending on where it's served from but loom is just seamless it's amazing yeah, they've got a very, very impressive service. And I think they're kind of still in very, very early stages. So getting early because I think yeah. early adopters are getting a lot of benefits. Yep. I dare say there's going to be a cost to this. It's free at the moment. And all they ask for to get your bonus advancement. So, for example, have unlimited video storage and unlimited video length is referrals. Yeah. So you refer, even if you just refer it to all the people that you work with, you'll get your bonuses pretty quickly. Yeah. Anyway, look, YouTube channel. I can't wait to see it, Greg. I'm looking forward to... And I, I, I hear that I'm making a guest appearance on your YouTube channel. <laughs> you are. <laughs> going to take some of the, um, with your permission, of course, so some of the um, real magic episodes just related to web design and pop them on there as well. Just, I mean, YouTube's a great channel for attracting a brand new audience, you know? So there's a lot of people on YouTube, second biggest search engine in the world. So it's time to utilize it properly. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, mate, I've had an interesting week. 
you know, we're, we're looking at how do we differentiate some of the services that, that we provide. And, and one of the things that we're looking at is you know, just changing the mindset on how people pay for some of the work that we do, particularly some of the photo shoots, where going back to a, a more old school model, I mean, this, this is something that's been around for professional photographers for a long time, where they'll do a photo shoot and then you'll pay an annual royalty for the for the photos and you don't actually get to keep the photos you just get to use them for for the period that's agreed with the photographer so uh, we're doing something similar just to make it more cost effective and affordable for small businesses to get 360 degree street view photos inside their business you know some of these small businesses if you ask them for 500 or a thousand dollars for a photo shoot they, they just don't necessarily have the cash flow or they can put that money to something else that they think is more important Right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas if we can reshape that and just say, look, you know, we'll shoot it for you, and there's a, a monthly royalty fee for for it being published and live, and and you taking advantage of it, you know, it's it's much much easier for for businesses to to absorb the cost. So we're, we're experimenting with we're experimenting with that in the at the moment, and and I, I just put it out there for all the creatives, you know, maybe on some of these bigger jobs, there's a different way that you can charge your client to make it easier. Mm, that's a great idea, man. And lower the barrier to entry. So yeah, good. I hope it goes well for you. Yeah, well, I'll keep you posted, mate. Today we're we're talking something that is really strong in the history of Studio One Design and is really strong in current work for for Pixel Partners HQ, which is designing for print. Mm, absolutely. And look, it's probably your area more so than mine because we do more, way more web stuff these days. But um, it's certainly got a bit of a history there. Did a lot of packaging and, and point of sale and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot, uh, a lot that we could share. That's for sure. Yeah. Look, and, and I think. You know, for you, it's it's historically you've done a lot of that stuff, and today it's more about web, mm-hmm. right? And this is why it's so important for you and I to talk about it because people don't understand that the designs you're doing for web may or may not translate to print well Ooh, for, a, yeah. for a variety of reasons. So if they intend on using it for print, they need to come back to you and say, listen, I also need... You know, a pull-up banner, a, a, a billboard, a, um, you know, a nice shipping cart or whatever it might be so yeah. that you guys have the foresight to design with that in mind as well. We, yeah, absolutely. And we do offer that, especially for our designer on tap clients. You know, if they don't have enough work for us one week, then, yeah, we offer all of that printable design. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, you know, I've got a big history in, in printing um, as a print supplier. And today, you know, in designing for print, and, and it is it is a little bit of a, a, a specialty design area, you know, like not all designers are created equal. And that's no discredit to designers, but some designers do certain things really, really well, but they don't understand the pre-press side and the technical side of what's required for certain types of printing. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. And I have some some of my designers that have never designed for print. And then, you know, I will send them a job or put just put on their list and, and not realise that they didn't have any print experience. And then they'll send a print design back in RGB. It's like, oops, wrong person. I didn't edu- – that was my failure there. I didn't educate them. <laughs> yeah. And, it's again, it's no credit to the, to the designer. It's just understanding what the requirements are so you can design – for that, and I mean, we see this in packaging, and we see it in in logo design all the time. You know, people are, uh, for example, they're designing logos in Photoshop at a resolution which will never be able to print 
large, right? It just it won't it won't scale, you know. So yeah, well, let's talk about some of the the technical differences between the two for a start. Okay, all right. Well, let, let's let's break it down into I think the two most important things, which is the the color space, mm-hmm. right, and the resolution. I think they're the probably the the biggest fundamental differences when it comes to just purely screen and web versus print, right? Yeah. So screen is 72 DPI, right? Mm-hmm. And when you see an image full screen, even in HD, on your computer monitor or TV, and it looks beautiful and sharp, that will never print the same size in print and be crisp and sharp. So what's the minimum resolution for print? Well, it, it depends on the print type. And again, this is where knowing about print helps, right? Mm-hmm. So some digital print methods, you can go as low as 150 DPI and 175 DPI. Right? Ah, and like it will digital add- for banners and things like that? Yeah, exactly, right? Because the printer doesn't output any higher resolution. You can give them higher, but it, it just won't output any higher, right? Yeah, yeah. And I guess it depends on the printing technique as far as, you know, if it's offset or if it's sprayed through those inkjets. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also things like how the ink is taken up, how much it bleeds on the substrate. Yep. Some ink makes a nice sharp dot. Others, it goes a bit fuzzy because it, it, it bleeds out. It absorbs into the into the substrate. And then you've got high-quality printing, which is really common today, you know, offset printing for catalogues and brochures and packaging, which is, you know, much, much closer to 300 DPI. Now, you know, we're using the term DPI and designers out there who know about print, they're going to be screaming at me because, yes, you know, d- DPI is a bit of an old term. We still all use it, but there's things like 300 line screen and all this different terminology. But the essence of it is you need a much higher quality image for print. Exactly, Al. And that's right. It's hard to, to sometimes educate clients. Like a lot of clients just find an image you know, that they've got off their camera or hopefully not off Google Images, but um, from somewhere and it's like, you know, image, uh, sorry, screen resolution and then they expect that to look fantastic when it's printed on a billboard. It's not even Google Images. You know, they go to iStock, right, and then they see the cost for the different sizes mm-hmm. and they go, oh, look, you know, we only need to buy small or medium because we've only got $50 as a budget and the high res is $750, yeah. right? So they don't buy the appropriate one. We get that a lot. Oh, here's the image we bought. Well, if you would like that as a banner, then you'll need to give us the high one. Oh, but the high one costs $700. Well, then we need to find a different image. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, yeah. Um, and then colour space, right? So monitors are made from three little diodes that project red, green, and blue, and they mix them together in different levels to make every colour on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? And most printing these days is CMYK, right, which is four colours, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, mixed together to create the colour spectrum. Now... Why isn't it CMYB? What's going on there? Because (laughs) B is blue. Cyan. No, B is blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. RGB, CMYK. So they use K for black. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get it. It's just confusing. It is, it is, it is. But uh, the most important thing to understand there is is two things. Firstly, you can convert an RGB image into CMYK. That's fine, right? But you can't send RGB images and RGB graphics to a printer because they can't turn that into a plate. They can convert it, but if they convert it, you have no control over the conversion process. And what most people don't realise is 
RGB actually has a much, much, much wider colour gamut. So there are more colours in the spectrum for RGB than there is in CMYK. So mm -hmm. you could have this very bright, colourful image on screen, and when it prints, it's if washed. you convert it without controlling it, yeah, it goes flat, it's not as vibrant, the greens aren't as strong, the reds tend to be not as strong, the oranges, you don't have as much of a range, and it can look almost muddy if you're not careful. Yeah, most definitely. So what would you recommend there? Just hire somebody to convert it for you. Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, be aware that some things just won't translate from one to the other and use the lowest common denominator. So what I suggest is if you're going to use an image on web and you want really strong continuity, then you actually not even on web. I'm just going to say digital, right? Mm -hmm. Then you need to convert it to CMYK for use in print and then convert it back after it's been converted to RGB so that they look the same. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Right. So a really common one that we see is in retail where they have screens displaying their specials, right? Yep. And then next to the screen, they'll have the point of sale ticketing with a photo or a catalogue. And they don't want extreme differences between those two. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you use the lowest common denominator, I suppose. Understood. Yeah, because some could be spot colour, couldn't they? Yeah, look, absolutely. So this is the, the I mean, we're talking about the basics, which was RGB versus CMYK. CMYK, yeah. But usually on point of sale, they use spot colour, one to three kind of, you know, different spot colours. Not necessarily today, Greg. I mean, these days it's CMYK is becoming a much more common print production method. So you're right, but, you know, going back a while, point of sale was done on very large machines. Often they only had two colour or four colour machines, so they were using spot colours to get the exact output, the colour that they want. Yeah, right? but even though... But I mean, this is just my observation, just looking at packaging and point of sale, I often do see CMYK plus spot colour. Well, that's what I was going to say. Ah, What's okay. more common now is yeah. a, a six-colour or eight-colour press yeah, where it. they'll yeah. have CMYK plus a clear coating plus one, two, or three spot colours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Yep. Now our business listeners are having an absolute meltdown because <laughs> they have no idea what we're talking about. A lot of people just... Jumped on to the next episode. <laughs> yeah, look, listener, this is this is our point, right? There's a ton of complexity that needs to be thought about at the front end of the process when designing for print, right? And even if designing for digital, if you have an intention of using it for print, you need to be thinking about this. Like a really great design agency, even if you only commission them to do web stuff, in the back of their head, they're going to be thinking about outputting this potentially for another purpose. Exactly. I know you guys use Illustrator a lot, right, Greg? Yep. So your web designs contain a huge amount of vector elements, mm -hmm. right? And vector is a file type that can be scaled very, very easily. Yeah. Right? Plus you're linking, you're potentially linking high-res images into your file but outputting them for screen resolution. So that that's foresight in design right giving your customer the, the potential to use these elements elsewhere yeah and so when we are designing uh, just in our questionnaire if it's a logo we'll ask you know what is the end use of this logo and you know it just depends on on the size of the business and and the industry there and things like that but generally speaking we you know we expect them to say it'll be used on this and plus print products as well right so what we like to do then is choose colors that are like you're saying before similar across the different techniques because you don't want to have something that just looks ultra bright on screen it's going to look terrible so yeah 
I'd say comes down to having a good designer and potentially a style guide, you know, that would eliminate any variation if they follow the guide. Yeah, and a style guide created by an agency or a designer who understands both. Understands both, yeah. Because yeah. we see this all the time. Oh, here's our style guide. And we have a look at it and go, well, what's actually written in the style guide, you can tell the designer maybe hasn't had pre-press experience because it's very difficult to translate. Now, all this complexity, right, all this messy complexity doesn't mean it has to be hard. And I'm not saying that most designers can't do both, right? But here's my tips. Firstly, a designer who understands print will have less production issues, right? So you'll have less problems with colour. Um, they'll understand if you're doing something customised with, you know, silver foil stamping, which is another type of process, yeah. or binding, or, you know, understanding things like creep. I've seen designers design booklets, right? And when you take, say, 20 sheets of paper and you fold it in half to create a booklet, uh -huh. you, get, you get what's called creep yep. because the spine gets thicker, the yep. outer pages need to be longer than the inner pages, mm -hmm. right? So all these little things that often, you know, because we're designing digitally, we're not thinking about the print output, often get overlooked. And, and we do, believe it or not, Greg, we do a lot of fix-ups, you know. Here's a design that a designer's done. Our printer's told us we can't use it. Can you fix it for us? Really? Well, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, common things are packaging with no proper dye lines, uh, packaging without the right bleed. What's a dye line? What's a bleed? Uh, let, let's explain what, what it should be. So here's, here's one thing that's really common in print is if you want to print to the edge of a page, a printer doesn't actually print to the edge of a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So what printers have to do is they have to print past the edge and that's called bleed. So what we have to do is we have to extend the design past the edge of the page and print extra paper and, this is a, and then a cut it down to the finished size. Yeah, and the reason they have bleed is to allow for movement, yeah? For the, for the die, for the cut. Well, no, it's just physically impossible to print right up to the edge of a piece of paper. Yeah, but I thought also that it depends on the guillotine, you know, because that could potentially, like, the paper could be slightly, a few millimetres off, for instance, when they guillotine it. Yeah, so what you're talking about is the size of the bleed. So yeah, exactly. bleed is there because you can't print right up to the edge of a piece of paper. Now, the amount of bleed you have depends on the quality of the print process. So, you know, when I started in print your allocation was five millimetres of bleed, which meant the cut could be anywhere within that five millimetre area, which is nuts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it means a, a design can be lopsided to the left or right. Yeah, especially on a small product like a business card. Yeah, yeah. Now... Did that happen very often? Very, very rarely. It's normally, you know, the guillotine operators and the printers, they're pretty good at their job, and it's normally sort of half a millimetre to a millimetre, right? But if you look at Common Offset today, they're asking for two millimetres and three millimetres bleed, which means they've got their print process so precise now, they just don't need anywhere near the, the extra. Yeah, yeah. We stick to three. What do you do these days then? We do three on most flat sheet, and we do five on any booklets and larger products or things like packaging which is not as accurate a process cutting cart those thick cardboard cartons is not as accurate yeah okay and so we're talking in metric what if it was inches three millimeters equals what like an eighth yeah we do a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch i think but again i'm a metrics guy so my team do a lot of stuff in in imperial but i only ever think in in metric yeah cool <laughs> 
Awesome. All right, a lot of technical stuff here. Heaps, heaps. And look, I, I guess the point is we don't expect any of this to make sense to either the business owners or designers that specialise in web, right? But, you know, if you're a designer specialising in web and somebody asks you to create a piece of packaging, go to the trouble of understanding what you need to do before you start. I mean, we just had a, a client come to us desperate, about to launch their product, and... You know, uh, basically the designer had put this beautiful artwork. This is no criticism to the designer. It looked fabulous. It just couldn't be produced, you know. So there was a huge amount of waste of time. There was a delay on the launch and a big extra cost because we had to pull it all apart, recreate it, and put it all back together again. Wow. Yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about different types of prints. So you've got offset. You've got... Okay, well, let's explain them first, right? So offset... Offset printing is a type of printing where they use uh, multiple colours and the reason it's called offset is each colour is just slightly offset from each other to create the blend for all the different colours you see. Mm. So if you look at it really close under a microscope, it just looks like a series of dots in a pattern at different percentages. Yeah, if you've got a, a magnifying glass at home, go and grab your local, you know supermarket catalogue and hit it with a magnifying glass and you'll see the dotting mm, and average is 300 dpi but really fine magazines will or you know really fine books they'll go up to 600 won't they on average not really i mean there, there are some places doing higher line screen but really 300 is still going to be more than enough for most printing mm -hmm. okay so what's another technique screen printing that's one you're familiar with yeah, absolutely. So usually, I mean, screen print was probably created for textiles originally. Yeah, you can screen print on a lot of different things, even paper, of course. But yeah, screen printing is really a technique where you have an image that gets sort of etched out of a, a screen, like a really fine mesh. And, you know, that image could be half tone. It's, it's basically there or not there. So it's like 100% or not or 0%, right? So if you want to create a, a gradient, you need like a, a stipple. And usually the dots are a lot larger than you need on offset. So we're talking on average about 120, you know, dots per square inch basically for screen printing. But you can still use CMYK. Um, you can, I mean, generally speaking, um, screen printing is spot color. So you can generally have up to eight to 10 colors. And, you know, that would be spot colors. So when you're creating a, a design, um, it would need to be created in channels, generally speaking, which is a little bit technical, but that way you can get the, you know, eight different spot colors. They don't use um, CMYK for a really high definition, high color pop design. They won't use CMYK. They'll use eight individual spot colors that's relevant to that particular design, including fluorescence and puffs and foils and whatever you need. That It's just amazing what you can do with screen printing. Way better quality than digital printing on textiles. One of the main things to think about with screen printing is the cost involved, right? There's a much higher cost to set up all the screens and they're generally setting up screens just for your print job and they're putting just that one job on the machine which means that if you're doing small order runs it can be quite expensive if you're doing larger order runs it's much more economical would you agree greg a hundred percent yeah so it depends on the amount of colors and the size of the print but yeah generally speaking digital will be far more economical on anything say under a hundred quantity 
And then if you go over that, you go to a, a screen printing carousel. Yeah, and, and the same thing applies with the offset versus digital. So we haven't talked digital yet, but offset, again, you have to create the plates for each of these colours, and that's what makes the impression of the of the print. And there's four of them, one for each colour. Um, but what's very common today is what's called gang printing. So if you order a business card, they're not just printing your business card. They're actually printing 50 or 70 people's business cards on the one run and putting them mm-hmm. side by side to take advantage of of splitting the setup cost across all the cards, right? And if they didn't do that, it would be so much more expensive to get business cards printed if it was just a one-off, wouldn't it? And we get this all the time. People want sort of funky customised cards and they go, but hang on a minute... I can buy, you know, 500 cards for 50 bucks from Vistaprint. Yep. How come, you know, for for 500 cards with this customization, you're charging me $2,000? I'm like, be- yeah. because all the things you've asked for mean you have to produce it in its own standalone process, which is just not economical. Yeah. So what would some of those things be, like embossing and rounded corners and die cut shapes and... What else? Yeah, look, I mean, anything that's not standard, so foiling, I've got to be careful here because, you know, a lot of really great printers these days have come up with ways to do a lot of these things. Like Traditionally, spot UV, which is like a, a clear yep. coating, was really, really expensive, right? It makes the, the business card look great, but it was a standalone process, and they've now made ways to do it in line and more automated, so it's no longer expensive. But... Yeah, at the end of the day, Greg, talk to your printer, right? And uh, so talk to your designer and talk to the printer and have them collaborate so that you have an idea of what the cost to produce is before you start designing. Mm. The other thing I see really common is these designers, the, the customer says, I want this, I've seen this, I want that. Here's an example, make this happen for me. The designer does a fabulous job. The designer fully understands print, does a perfect job, but then when they get the, they take it to the printer and the printer goes, oh, it's going to cost you X, Y, Z, and the, the customer freaks out. So they've just spent hundreds or thousands of dollars on a designer creating this wonderful thing, but they can't produce it because it's too expensive. Mm, yeah, right. Okay. So once again, it just comes down to the designer's knowledge of print. Yeah, and, and also too, Greg, you know, the goalposts are moving really quickly in print these days. Well, let's talk about digital. So is that part of the reason? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can get, you used to be able to get, okay, so, so firstly, right, for, for everybody, digital, right, is a broad term that they use for any printing that is not using some kind of plate or screen. So we don't have to manufacture something to transfer the print. So it's using some sort of electronic head to put it down. So there's no setup costs. It's just you can print one-offs. Yeah, and the common way to think about it is exactly like the little inkjet prints or the little laser prints uh, printers that you buy from Officeworks. They are digital printers, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, we use ones that are much, much, much bigger than that and are big professional machines, but they're essentially the two main types, inkjet, uh, which is commonly used today for banners and uh, flags, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff, right? And then toner-based prints, so laser printers, just like your office laser printer, right? And those are used for things like brochures and flyers and business cards, right? Sure. I'm not a fan of the quality of that because the, the shine, the sheen that it puts on the ink, to me, just looks... Uh, it's not nice in my opinion. Look, you have to see some of the new stuff that's out there, Greg. Honestly, I saw some prints come off a an A2 digital press 
And yeah. I was hard pressed to tell the difference between that and. But you're talking laser? Yes. Wow. Okay. Right. Actually, one of them was an ink hybrid, and the other one was a laser. And what you're talking about is traditional toners were very oily, so they left that sheen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of them are using a, a dry toner base now, which is is much more like like print. Uh, but it, it wow. has its upsides and downsides too, right? So uh, if you need to crease it or fold it, ink is absorbed into the paper or the cardstock, right? So when you crease it, it creases nicely. You, If mm. you crease or fold digital prints, the toner sits on the top of the paper. It doesn't get absorbed. So you get, so it, so you get a white fold. Yeah, you get a crack in the fold, yeah, right? Yeah. Now you can put laminates and things on it to, to make it better, but... There's all these different little things that make a difference. Mind you, sometimes it's worth having a little bit of a crack because digital, you can print five of something or 10 of something or 100 uh, at a very economical price because there's no plating required. It's upload a file, put it through the pre-flight, send it to the printer, comes out the other end, trim, fold, pack, out it goes to the customer. Now, I make that sound really easy. There's obviously a lot more work <laughs> in it, but, you know, it, it enables things like, you know, short-run booklets, which we do all the time for training, for marketing. Uh, people people give away eBooks. Hey, why not give away a physical book? Mm, nice. It is that cost-effective today. Even these days, they have more than just a few colours in them, don't they? Like, don't they have up to six and seven and eight colours in these digital printing machines these days? Yeah, most common digital printing is still CMYK. There are a couple of high dynamic range ones which do have two extra colours in them to make them brighter. And there are some that have a clear coat and a few other things. So, yes, there are bigger, better machines. I'm hesitant to talk too much about that stuff because that is a lot harder for the average small business to actually access and, and use. Cool. Well, what about choosing stock? Let's say somebody wants to get, I don't know, some fires done. I mean, what kind of stock weight would you recommend and, and things like that? Like, you know, let's talk about stock in general for business cards and stationery. Well, let's let's just first see what are we talking about with stock, right? So on digital, it's always displayed on a screen, right? Uh, when you go into print, you have one extra factor, which is the media that it's printed on, right? And when we, when, mm -hmm. I mean, Greg talks about stock for business cards and stock for, for flyers, but, you know, what about the stock for the flag that you need or the pull-up banner that you want or... The packaging, right? And a lot of people don't understand that the stock makes a huge difference to the quality of the print. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, you know how I talked about before how much the ink bleeds? And a good quality, com highly compressed stock will give you a really sharp image, right? A poor quality stock will give you a much softer, fuzzier image. Mm, so, it's not just the weight, but it's the... It's the quality as well. Yeah, it's the quality. A lot of people gauge stock by its weight. Um, yeah. But really, you know, you can have three or four different, say, 400 GSM stocks, which is something that people use for business cards all the time, and they mm -hmm. can, all three can feel completely different in your hands. Um, some will feel thicker. Some will feel more rigid. It's not just the weight, because the weight is just how much of that material there is. It's how it's been processed in the paper mill and how it's been prepared mm. for printing. So very, very complicated. Again, good designers, good printers, they will have stock samples. They will let you touch and feel it. And that's one of the downsides of ordering print online is you don't actually necessarily get to touch and feel 
the finished results. I mean, we just had one for a, for a customer recently where they ordered business cards online and what they thought they were getting and what they got were two completely different things. Now, there were, there were yeah, two issues. I've had that experience. Yeah, there were two issues. One, the quality of the stock that that printer was providing was terrible, right? The second problem was the artwork was not set up correctly for print. So, and the printer, I think it was pretty much, you know, a, a job, a, a print unseen type of printer where they just take the order, it goes through the process and what you get is what you get. And the, the onus is on the customer to supply the artwork correctly. Whereas a good, a good designer and a good printer will spend a lot of time checking and pre-flighting and, and things like that to make sure the output's going to be correct. Yeah, yeah, understood. Wow, man, there's uh, obviously a lot, a lot to know when we're talking about printing. A bit different to uh, the last episode where we were talking about the future of design in, in digital. But yeah, yeah, this is incredible. What, what else do you have in the, in the form of education for print? I'm going to wrap up on this, right, which is print is not dead. It's just different today right yeah yeah you, you hear marketers all the time saying go online go online go online and yes i think online is super super powerful right but even companies like apple you know they've got a beautiful website they've got beautiful retail showrooms they still invest a ton of money in their packaging for their products right because yep. it's part of the sales experience there's no buyer's remorse when you unbox an Apple product because the unboxing experience is just as beautiful as the product, right? Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, if print was dead, why would supermarkets still be putting catalogs in your mailbox every single week? Do they? I don't get them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And look, I guess at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is, you know, if you've got good design and you want to put it on different types of medium, you really need a designer that understands the different types of media that you're printing on, essentially, whether it's digital or, or, or physical. Yeah, and ask for their experience. Ask to see some samples of their work. And designers, look, if you don't know how to do it, talk to your printer, right? And most print companies and most printers are really, really happy to help you out right because obviously if they can produce great output from the designs that you make easily and smoothly it's beneficial to everybody right i think a lot of designers are scared they try and work it out themselves and they're scared to put their hand up and say hey mr printer what are your technical specs now i get technical specs sometimes uh, when i'm doing something new so for example a few years ago we started doing bus backs you know the side of buses and the back of buses and i'd never produced a design for a bus all right i asked for their print specs i had a look and it still confused me i actually had to pick up the phone and call them and say can you please run through what this means and once i explained it to me it made complete sense sure but ask designers please you know don't put your customers in a position where you've done a ton of work and then the output that you've produced gives them problems in print. It just makes everybody look bad. Yeah, awesome, man. All right, killer, killer. Fantastic, Al. Well, anything else to add, buddy, or are we going to wrap it up there? No, I've actually got a bit of a, a brain meltdown thinking about all that print stuff. <laughs> exactly. So have I, mate. I need a good rest and a cup of tea. All right, Greg, it's been awesome talking print. You know what? I'm going to try and inject a little bit of print into a few more of our episodes just to remind people that print's not dead. Yeah, well, your knowledge is in the second to none, mate. You, you know, you're obviously right up there with the latest techniques. Like I said, I've dropped off over the last few years, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're smashing it. So. Yeah. And, well done, you. And we've, we've stuck with that specialty because a lot of people like you have dropped out of the industry. Yeah. And it just means that what's left, you know, those of us who've stuck around can take up that work. So, again, hey, printers, nice. uh, sorry, designers, don't forget print's not dead, right? And um, people maybe 
you know, going in droves to web design, but there's still plenty of work out there for print. All right, listener, we'll catch you on the next episode. You got it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.